Hi, I'm Carl Blanks, co-founder of Conversion Rate Experts. Here at Conversion Rate Experts, we do just one thing. We make changes to our clients' websites, and then we put our necks on the line by insisting that they carry out scientific split tests to verify that we've significantly grown their business. We've applied our methodology to some of the web's most sophisticated companies, including Apple, Sony, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. Now, this episode of the podcast is a recording of a webinar that we co-presented with Rand Fishkin, the co-founder of Moz. Rand is one of the web industry's most innovative thought leaders, and in it, Rand talks about how to increase your conversions whilst keeping or even enhancing your search engine rankings. Uh, I talk about some strategic and tactical mistakes that we've made and and seen when optimising for conversion, and we answer some of the attendees' burning questions, most of which were about the SEO implications of conversion. Now, at times, we'll refer to a slide that you can't see, and you have two choices. You can either imagine what the slide would look like, or you can visit our podcasts page, which links to a video of the talk. Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to today's webinar, which is about conversion mistakes and about how conversion can uh, help with your SEO. Uh, I'm Carl Blanks, and today my uh, co-presenter, my co-star is Rand Fishkin, the founder of Moz, Wizard of Moz. What we're going to go through on today's call is, uh, firstly, how CRO affects SEO. It's a question we get asked a lot because lots of companies, they depend on 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 SEO for their whole livelihood. And so making changes to the web page is not a trivial matter. It's, it, you know, it can be quite scary to make huge changes. So, so Rand's going to be talking about that because Rand's one of the, you know, one of the world's uh, foremost authorities on SEO. Um, uh, secondly, we'll be talking about strategic and tactical mistakes that Mars and conversion rate experts have made and seen. Um, uh, obviously, obviously, the more experience you have, the more mistakes you've had. And so we're going to make some mistakes, or just <laughs> not make some mistakes, we're going to describe some mistakes, hoping that you don't have to make the same mistakes and you can steer, avoid things that we've seen. And then finally, we've got a Q&A session. I know there are lots of things that people would love the opportunity of, of being able to ask to Rand, especially about, you know, about conversion, which is something that he doesn't speak about uh, so much. So, so that'll be a really valuable in itself. So, uh, actually, Rand, you, you, I've managed to unmute you, haven't I? Can you hear me there now? Yes, no, I'm here. Fantastic. So, welcome to the call. I can hear call. you fine. <laughs> Thanks. So, Thanks for having me, Carl. No, you're always welcome. The um, yeah, Rand, the founder of Moz. If you don't know Moz already, I'd highly recommend you take a look at the site. It's a, it's an extremely um, credible site, and um, uh, it's got some fantastic tools that we use on our own site and recommend to our clients. And and the whole way that Rand, I, I remember someone a few years ago saying, just imagine what you know what companies will look like in the future. He said, if you imagine what companies or, or the culture was like fifty years ago, and how many things fifty years ago seemed really controversial now, you know, so many practices of the nineteen seventies even just seem so like um, so crude. And I remember someone saying, you know. Just, appreciate that in the next 30, 40 years that culture will change again. And there's so many things that businesses are like today that are uh, in 30 or 40 years' time will just be seen as barbaric or, or crude. Yeah. And, um, and 
yeah, M- R- Rand, I think, is crafting one of those company cultures that already makes you know many of today's companies just seem uh, seem dated. And so, if uh, Rand's tag fee culture, I think I'd recommend to anyone to read because it's because it's innovative and it's uh, you know we believe it's a thing of the future. So actually, I, I've been. Uh, I should pass over to you, Rand, rather, talk, rather than talking about how great you are. So, uh, Rand, do you want to kick off? <laughs> Very kind. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, to get started here. I specifically wanted to talk about um, some mistakes we've made and mistakes that we've seen, particularly around these misconceptions about how CRO and SEO are supposed to work together, do work together, and sometimes don't work together. Um, and I think I'm, I'm going to start with some very high-level stuff. So, uh, yeah, Carl, let's go right into it. Uh, the first part of this is about landing pages, and, and there are some key differences in how marketers uh, and, and website builders need to think about their architecture for the pages they want their visitors to land on and the different use cases um, that the marketers have. So broad spectrum, we really, in the past, I think, had this misconception that the same pages that we were using to drive uh, brand traffic that we were using to uh, grow our authority with Google, that we were using to earn links and uh, mentions and social shares and uh, email referrals, that those pages were the same pages that we would have people convert uh, to taking our free trial or um, uh, you know, buying our software or our API directly. and. That, that, that was actually some pretty poor thinking. Um, so, yeah, let's go to the next slide and you'll see pages that are made for, for a lot of SEO, most SEO, and for what I call content marketing, which is essentially trying to earn the loyalty, trust, um, brand exposure, uh, all those, all those you know, positive social shares and links and engagement, all these things that, that content marketers today um, and SEOs for a long time have been looking for, these pages are very different from a landing page for a conversion purpose. So this is a blog post by, by Craig Bradford, a recent one uh, that was on the Moz blog. I thought it was excellent, right? It talks about all these Google Analytics bugs and mistakes that lead to bad data. And in fact, um, speaking of mistakes, Moz itself, we've actually made some of the mistakes that Craig talked about in this blog post. Super useful post, right? What, but it is designed to do something very different than a landing page that would help uh, with the conversion process, right? This blog post is designed to help marketers succeed at their work, to help them use Google Analytics better, uh, to have them build a positive association with Moz and, and to get to our website. And I know that 90 plus percent of the people who get to this page are probably just going to read this blog post. And then my hope is some percent of them will 
tweeted or put it on Facebook or on Google Plus or on LinkedIn or social network of your choice. Uh, a few will email it to their boss or their team. Uh, a few will comment on it. And the vast majority will read it, some of it, consume it, and then go away. And you might think, well, what, what are you gaining in that, Rand? What is Moz deriving value from there? And the answer is that the, the value that's derived is uh, a big part of, well, the value that's derived is one touch among many. What, what many marketers don't realize, and even those of us who do realize, we still make the mistake of thinking about our marketing funnel as being uh, single track, right? We want someone to come to this blog post. Now, where's the call to action that's going to send them to take a free trial? And what percent of those people can we get to the free trial? And what percent of those do we get to the cart? And what percent of those will actually sign up? And what percent of those will actually uh, stay for their first month, invest? And that's, that's poor short-term thinking. Well, it's good short-term thinking. It's bad long-term thinking. The CTA actually here is non-existent. Let's, let's go to the, the, the next page. So this page is actually in Moz's conversion funnel. Um, I actually hadn't seen our new pricing page. We, we just redesigned this. It's kind of pretty. I think Roger looks really cute there. But uh, this... This page in our conversion funnel is, is built to convert, right? It's a pricing page. It's going to let you choose which price. It doesn't actually need to target any search keywords. It doesn't need to be shared or linked to or amplified, although a few people have shared it and, and tweeted it and put it on Google Plus and that kind of thing. But it doesn't need those things. It's not, I'm not trying to get this page to rank for something. The only thing I really would want it to rank for is if somebody searches for Moz Pro pricing. Right, then, then I want them to find this page. But otherwise, I don't want this page to rank for you know, SEO tools or um, better SEO or help my site. That's, that's the job of content. The, the way that Moz's funnel works, and this is actually a really interesting thing that, um, that I think, you know, I find marketers are fascinated when they hear this, and, and, and I'm Im impressed with our team that they've been able to measure this. I think on average it is seven and a half visits to Moz's website before someone takes a free trial. So seven and a half visits. Usually uh, four or five of those are to content, not to the sales pages, not to you know, the pricing page or anything that's actually in our funnel. And usually two of those touches come from social, uh, a few come from uh, organic search, uh, usually one or two are direct. So we're talking about a very complex mix of people coming to us for a multitude of reasons, landing on a variety of pages before they ever get to the free trial. This is the most interesting part. When you go through Moz's funnel, if you visit us only two or three times before you take a free trial, you usually don't end up staying with the subscription as long. You usually don't even vest through the free trial into the paid months. In, in a weird twist of fate, I don't want to convert you, right? It is not in Moz's interest to convert someone on their first visit or their second visit or their third or fourth visit. In fact, if you go 10 or more visits before you convert, you tend to be an excellent customer. You stay with our subscription much longer than the people who only come three or four times. And so 
that's why there's such separation between the content marketing and the and the uh, lead focused funnel, right? The the conversion focused funnel. Now I do want to I do want to make a caveat, which is not everyone operates the same way Moz does, and it is the case that sometimes you will have pages that are both conversion focused and trying to rank for something directly. Let's go to the, the next slide and I'll show you an example of that. So this is a page that, that tries to do both, right? I've searched for men's tuxedos in Google. I get to uh, Nordstrom's website and there's a couple of, well, I, I don't particularly think highly of either of those tuxedos, but uh, they did have one from Ted Baker, Scottish designer who I, that I thought was phenomenal. Um, so it, this, this page, right, men's tuxedos and formal wear, this page actually needs to both do a great job of ranking and be worthy of amplification, right? It needs to kind of combine both of these. Now, the interesting thing is this page is not ranking because it has, you know, the most links of any uh, page about men's tuxedos or uh, the most shares or, or, you know, the best engagement, those kinds of things. This page is really ranking off what many, many uh, uh, conversion-focused pages that are also content are ranking off of, and that is the overall site's domain authority, right? So when, when you ask, well, why is this page performing so well for this query? The answer is because Nordstrom is a brand that on and off the web has built a, a remarkable reputation and all of the positive signals around their brand and their website as a whole, and that's what's making Google rank this page versus, uh, say, a page that is, I don't know, menstuxedos.com, uh, that's hyper-focused, that's, you know, um, maybe done a, a bit more of that classic SEO stuff, right? But Google's evolved past that. And so this is actually a good example of why it pays to have a lot of great content marketing and brand building content that's getting you all of those other types of signals that is not necessarily conversion focused. In fact, for a lot of content marketing, the conversion goal shouldn't be get someone to sign up and pay us or get someone to purchase this product. It should be how do we get people to know us, like us, share our stuff, amplify our message, become evangelists, engage with us, become part of our community. That, that's really the goal of that content marketing stuff. And then that content marketing, that, that strength of those signals that you built up will help all of the pages on your site, including the ones that are conversion focused. So this is, this is something that we've learned over the years, made a lot of errors with, and that I see just all the time you know, uh, marketers and business owners struggle. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. So what the other the other I think big question that people have and and big uh, mistakes that I find people making is worrying that their CRO efforts are going to mess up their SEO efforts or the other way around, right? So I've I've had you know folks who are uh, specialists on the conversion side or particularly focused on that, come to me and say, yeah, you know, we'd love to do SEO on our website uh, and we'd love to get more search traffic, but, you know, we just we just can't afford to mess with the conversion funnel that we built because we really have optimized these pages for conversion, to which I shake my fist in the proverbial air and say, that's insane, man, there's no conflict between the two, 
Um, and the same is true the other way around, right? That, that if you are doing SEO and you're thinking to yourself, hey, I got my page in perfect condition. Google just loves me. I'm ranking number one. I don't want to touch that, man. I don't want to mess around with, with CRO and you know testing different versions of the landing page. And what if I change something on the page and Google doesn't rank me as highly anymore? Also crazy. More proverbial fist shaking. All right. Let's uh let's move on to so. I recognize what I'm doing here is sacrilegious from, from a, you know, an SEO practitioner standpoint, but I wanted to try and illustrate a very simplistic model of, of Google's algorithm. I did this in a whiteboard Friday a few weeks ago, and uh, I didn't get too many uh, hateful complaints, so hopefully I can, I can redo this. Basically, the idea is that the, the, these are broad elements that factor into a page's ranking ability. Right, so let's start left to right. Keyword and on-page, right? You get your your keywords optimized and your on-page stuff optimized. Content quality, all the you know everything that Google uses to measure uh, whether a piece of content is very high quality, and they have some quite sophisticated algorithms around topic modeling and all this other kind of stuff, you know, analysis that that they do. Domain authority. This is sort of all the signals that that your brand and website have built up from. Uh, you know, links and shares and engagement, et cetera, et cetera, and content quality across the whole site, right, all that uh, stuff that might go into something like Panda. Uh, domain, uh, page authority, the individual, you know, shares and links and, and um, uh, external signals that affect a page's ranking ability. And then user and usage data, that's, you know, things like pogo sticking, when people click on, the, on you in the search results, so they immediately click back to the search results because they're unhappy, or do they stick around your site and browse around for a long time and, you know, give those positive user usage data signals? And then some spam analysis, like, are you doing shady stuff? So all this figures into ranking ability. But only these three, right? Keyword, content quality, user and usage data, changes made to pages for CRO only affect those three. So that's, that's good to know, right? Noth nothing I'm going to do for CRO uh, is going to affect my domain authority, my page authority, or spam analysis negatively. Uh, I, I mean, unless I'm doing something absolutely insane. I can't imagine something that would go in there that would be logical for CRO that would affect anything but these three. So if we go to the next slide, you'll see that, that this, if your conversion rate is rising, meaning if you're doing high-quality CRO, you are positively benefiting two of these things. You're benefiting your content quality signals, right? Because Google, essentially, with content quality, they're looking at things that would lead people to say, yes, I want to buy from this. Yes, I want to convert. Yes, this is interesting to me, right? Those, those signals are going to be correlated. Those content quality signals Google uses are going to be correlated with the same things you're optimizing for. And same story with user and usage data. The more people who are converting, the fewer people who are bouncing away, the more time people are spending on your site, right? The more they're engaging with you. Ta-da! So you, you are, by default, if you're doing good CRO, you are positively impacting two of these. Sweet. So if we go to the next slide, the, the only one we have to worry about, right, is keyword and on-page. And that's really pretty straightforward. This is not a hard thing. Uh, to do, nor is it something you you almost never need to worry about it in CRO, so long as you're just sticking to some basic principles. And it, if we go to the next slide, I'll, sh I'll show you what those are. 
Um, they're they're honestly pretty classic. They haven't changed in a while. And there's no CRO requirement I've ever seen that interferes with, with getting this keyword targeting stuff right. So, you know, the basics are you have terms and phrases you want to target that you're trying to rank for. Well, try, try and get them in the page title, which should almost never affect CRO, and you probably won't be messing with your HTML page title when you're doing CRO anyway. And smart use of that in the URL and headline. URL probably, again, doesn't matter much for CRO. Headline, yes, that does matter for CRO, but you know what? You, you almost certainly want to have the terms and phrases that you're chasing after in your headline for conversion rate optimization as well as SEO because you're trying to create that information set. And so it, it's the case almost all the time that these things perfectly align. And even when they have imperfect alignment, you can usually find a satisfactory combination of the two uh, that's going to work well. So I think it's a, a mistake and a myth to think that you can't mess with SEO or CRO because of the other one. And I, I'm, uh, I worry a little bit about uh, marketers who, who fear that stuff. All right. So we can go to the, the last slide in here. And uh, I am going to turn you over to Carl, who has some, uh, some excellent suggestions of his own on the CRO side. But I urge you to go out there and make some awesome SEO and CRO happen. Fantastic. That's great. Thanks very much, Rand. That was really, really useful. And uh, it's, it's overcome a lot of um, concerns that I hear people asking all of the time. So, yeah, really good. If anyone has any questions about what Rand's been talking about or, um, or what I talk about, then just feel free to start adding them to the questions pane in GoToMeeting. And, uh, and then at the end of the webinar, we'll be able to go through those. Right then. Uh, just briefly about conversion rate experts. For those of you who don't know, we, uh, my, my co-founder and I used to work in-house. We, um, we started doing experiments on our, on our site, and in 12 months, we tripled the size of the business. We then wrote uh, an article that described some of the techniques we've been using, and, um, and the following day, it went viral, and the following day, Google got in touch and invited us to be one of the first partners uh, for, well, the first partner outside the U.S., actually, for uh, for Google split testing software. Uh, we now have clients in, we've worked with clients in nine languages and in 22 countries. And, uh, and, with, and our clients include um, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. And some of the uh, results that we get, uh, we've, we've grown a lot of businesses um, and our clients and results page shows the details. Right, mistake number one. Actually, the, the background to this is that obviously when you're a consultancy, you get to see a lot of projects and you get to see, um, and if, if you're smart about it, then every time you see something go wrong or every time you do something wrong, then you kind of incorporate that into your system to prevent that ever happening again. So we're very, as a company, we're very reflective and we're always looking at projects and thinking two things. If we had to repeat that project again, what were the most fruitful activities that we carried out? And, uh, you know, what were the vital few um, fruitful activities? And also, whenever something goes wrong, we look as, uh, you know, how can we prevent that happening again? And so I've, uh, some of these mistakes are things that we see come up over and over again. And fortunately, we, we have processes in place, but I think most companies don't. The first one is what we call the, uh, the Kai Gai Kai problem. Um, 
the uh, we came across it because we were running uh, uh, years ago we were running when i mentioned uh, when we worked in house we were running a japanese site we had a us site and a japanese site and this is the this is the page from there it's uh, it's uh, what, what i'm going to do is i'm going i've used google translate so you can see in a very crude kind of way roughly what the page is on is is talking about and and i want to just i'll go quiet for the next 20 seconds and i'd like you just to think of what you would change this page to increase its conversion rate the f- the page is selling phones for international travelers so these are phones that a japanese person can uh, can uh, buy so when they're going abroad they can use the phone on their travels and then when they return home put it in the desk so i'll go quiet for 20 seconds just so you can have a little think about how you think you might be able to improve this page and increase its conversion rate Could have done with some hold music, couldn't I? Some, like some uh, some easy listening. Or the Jeopardy song. <laughs> okay, the twenty seconds is up. Right then, I'm going to tell you the punchline to the story, which is that. Um, that <laughs> Although, much as I'd, I'd quite like to listen to Rand's, uh, to Rand's Muzak for a bit longer. Uh, we, uh, the punchline of the story is that, is that on this site, during about, I think it was 2003, 2004, um, we got web analytics software and we discovered that more than 90% of the visitors, most of the visitors that were arriving on this page, were actually, actually searched for uh, the Japanese term keitai denwa, which means uh, mobile phone. So they weren't searching for phone rental or for international travel phone. They would just search for mobile phone. The reason was because, um, because thanks to our probably overzealous SEO activity, we were number one in Japan for the term mobile phone. Now, um, obviously, being number one in Yahoo, which was the main search engine there at the time, is is a ridiculously valuable position to be in but um but we didn't know so people who were arriving were just you know looking for to buy a mobile phone realizing that we actually just did phones for travel and leaving and so the mistake that we made and it was a painful mistake to make because when you discover that you've got one of the most valuable rankings and have had for a long time uh, uh, to discover that you've had an extremely valuable ranking and that people weren't converting because they weren't looking for this it was it was a you know it was a painful way of learning that the only way you can increase a website's conversion rate is to understand who the visitors are and what they want and why they aren't converting um and by the time that we managed to uh by the time we managed to like work out what we could do with this then the ranking started slipping for that term and um and the you know the domestic carriers all uh, you know displaced us and so I said the main thing we learned from this uh, Kaigai Keitai problem uh, is is that is that you always you can't uh, you can't critique a site without knowing 
about who's seeing it and, and the, the objections. And the difficult thing is, even once you've learned that lesson, you think, yeah, I get it now, of course. It's amazing how often, how easy it is to slip back into into making judgments without actually having the data. So it, it takes an amazing amount of discipline and someone can learn this lesson one day and then the next day discover that they've slipped back into the same situation. Uh, mistake number two is what we call the cinema foyer effect. Um, what we noticed was sometimes you can be, this is a, you know, a split test um, data for a page and what we noticed is that sometimes no matter what you do on a page you can't get a win you, and and the, and the longer you leave a test they all just kind of turn in well stay inconclusive like this one does and and the weird thing is it, it's um it, you know the, the what what's going on here is sometimes uh, in science they do what what they call sensitivity analysis, which is is to see which variables are actually affecting the results. So if you imagine, like here's a whole load of uh, lev levers, levers, depending on which uh, accent you have, and when you pull one of those things, presumably they all they all do something. I think it's even written on them what they do there. But on your website, it's not so obvious that sometimes you'll you'll like your home page you might assume is a lever and you can do things to it but discover that it's not actually connected to anything and so sensitivity anal analysis actually is about changing all the variables and spotting which one of them which one of them are actually connected to the conversion rate and connected to success because it's surprising on a site how many of the levers aren't actually connected to anything and don't affect the conversion rate no matter what you do um, we've had clients, there was one client came to us uh, after a site-wide redesign and they changed everything on the site and nothing had changed the conversion rate. It didn't affect the, uh, nothing they did had changed and it turned out their whole site for, you know, for reasons that I'll hint at later were, were um, this, the whole site was like a red herring. So here's the problem and how to spot it. If nothing you do makes a difference... If all of your tests on a particular page are inconclusive, non-win, and more importantly, non-lose either. Um, this can be on a page or it can be on a type of test. For example, uh, testimonials, you might discover that everything you do with testimonials makes no difference. Or on a page element, a site-wide page element. And it's that you're pulling on a lever that isn't connected to anything. And so here's what... He, we explain it by calling it the cinema foyer effect because this, uh, this is the most common... Um, uh, reason for it happening. Imagine that you own this cinema here and see that poster there. There's some movie posters there for a film called New, movie called New York. Um, imagine that you tried testing on certain days. You put the New York poster, and then on a different day you put the that Toy Story poster, and you started measuring how many people are going to see New York, how many people are going to see Toy Story, and. You might. You know, my guess is that you discover that no matter what poster you put on there, it doesn't affect the number of people who are going to see that movie that day. And the reason is because um, when you actually ask people, you know, if you actually interviewed the visitors and said, how did you decide which movie to go to? The answer isn't I looked at the posters then decided. The answer is normally, 
you know, a friend recommended this movie to me or I subscribe to a particular movie review podcast or or I watch a certain TV or I go on IMDb. But the posters in the cinema foyer aren't how people make the decisions, even though the posters are local and it's and, and the posters are the thing, the only thing that the cinema might feel they have control over. It doesn't mean that that's where the conversion is happening. The conversion might be happening. Well, the conversion is definitely happening in your in your customers' minds, and it's it, it may be happening happening in different places from the the ones that are most convenient to you. So, what can you do about that? Uh, firstly, just be aware that you you may be barking up the wrong tree. Uh, secondly, identify where and when the conversions are really happening. That's the most important point. And thirdly, uh, an example of this is ask customers when and where the persuasive content was. So in the case of the cinema foyer effect, you know, if you ask the customers and they said, oh, well, it's the, you know, uh, a particular uh, radio show. That, that's where I find out or IMDb. Find out all those places and then realize that that's where the conversion's happening. And so as far as what you work on, they are the things that you need to work on. Sometimes the word of mouth might be difficult to work on, but sometimes you'll find that these places are actually uh, places that you can influence and can and should influence. And a good example of this is Dropbox. People often uh, talk about why it is that Dropbox's homepage, and Dropbox has split test this, but it's a, it's just basically a sign-up form. And uh, and. I think what's happened, I don't know whether Dropbox have actually come to this conclusion or whether they've just uh, tested their way to it, is that by the time someone arrives at Dropbox's homepage, you know, they are already are persuaded to use Dropbox because it's not that they're thinking, oh, this looks an interesting service. I wonder what it does. When someone gets to this page, it's usually because they've already used Dropbox. A friend has sent them uh, some files, for example, and they and they know what it is. Maybe the friends actually explain to them what Dropbox does. Maybe they've read reviews elsewhere, but but pe- people aren't signing up. And so what Dropbox have discovered that is that giving detail on this page doesn't appear to help, presumably because of the cinema foyer effect, that this page isn't actually where the conversion is happening. And so the best thing that Dropbox can do is just let the conversion happen and work on the you know work on the different aspects of the conversion you know speak to their visitors and say well why did you what persuaded you to sign up and they might say well there was a, an amazing refer a friend program which i know dropbox has and uh, and so and, and work on those things works on the things that actually did have an effect and again it depends on your type of business it, you know uh, with dropbox it's a naturally viral kind of uh, service and it's also a service with an amazingly high net promoter score and so in their case it's this but the only way to can find out with your business speak to your customers next mistake number three returning customers can cause noise um we first discovered this we worked on a landing page for health supplements and i'm really with quite a few of these things i'm it's disappointing that we can't show the actual page because in this one the page that we designed was just so much better and we tested it on users and they found the new page much more persuasive it had loads of proof it was much better explained and we ran a test and the new page didn't reach significance and we were absolutely perplexed and then what we realized when we were looking at the data is that on any given day, this client, about 95% of its customers were repeat customers. There were people who were take, who'd taken this health supplement before and they were just returning to the site to reorder. And, uh, and so, so 
those people, if someone's just coming to, if they've already taken like 10 uh, tubs of these um, these health supplements and they're just coming back to reorder, then the only thing we really need to do is just let them order. That's that, you know, nothing you say on the welcome page is going to make much difference to that. And so what we realized is even if we were, you know, even if our new page was loads better, it was only the only thing that we could do, the only thing that was possible to do was to increase the percentage of these existing customers who signed up to, to make to persuade these green guys. And so what we did was we ran the test only with new customers as the goal. And we um, at the time, we ha- it was difficult to do this. It's much easier now. But we did it um, by analyzing the database and tracking which people were genuinely new customers. And what we discovered is how a new page was getting 114% uh, more new customers. So basically what we'd done, we'd, we'd more than doubled the conversion rate of new customers to the site, which is all you can do. Uh, or, no, certainly as far as acquisition goes and uh, but we didn't you know that that was hidden from us because we you know until we realized that we had to track that so that's one thing I'd really recommend if you have lots of repeat customers if your business has a lot of repeat users whether it's people logging in or people who are you know who or service that has a large long lifetime customer value then make sure that when you're talking about when you're aiming for customer acquisition that you uh, that you track the new customers because otherwise everything can get lost in the statistical variation and your tests just might take ages just because of the noise from repeat customers. The next one, mistake number four, not having ADA on the project. Uh, what do I mean by ADA? ADA stands for authority, duty and ability. And this is something that we see in a lot of companies. And it's something that we, uh, you know, now we're at the point where when, a, when we speak to a new prospect who's thinking of signing up with us, we're, we, we want to know about the, the team. And, and it's important for us to ensure that the team have these th- three things. But I guess th- let's start with number two, because this is the obvious one. D stands for duty. You need someone on the project whose neck is on the line. It's the person whose duty it is to increase conversions. Now, I would say most conversion projects have that, but it's numbers one and three that they often miss. A is authority, and that's the person whose permission must be sought in order to make changes, in order to make decisions, to spend money, to do whatever it is that's needed for the project. And three is ability, the person or people who can do the work or or can control those who can, whether it's uh, designers, IT team, anything to do with the integration or analysis or whatever. But the the essential thing, if you're designing a conversion department or you're thinking of uh, setting up a, a conversion team, is that you need to make sure that the team has all three of those, ideally in as few people as possible, Ideally in one person, because it means that the same person is both responsible for getting results, able to make decisions and able to get the work done. But it's something that is dead important, because if you don't have one of those three in your conversion team, then the project is likely to take much longer. And so it's 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 worth analysing that. The next mistake, and I think it's my final mistake, is switching to the beauty track. And this is something that we see happen at a load. And it's, am- it's amazingly difficult to persuade uh, people not to make this mistake. And here's what it is. If you look at Amazon, you know, Amazon's a nice looking site, but it's not, it's not what you would call beautiful. It looks good, but it's a functional site. Uh, Reddit. If you look at basically most successful web businesses that, that are successful as pure play web businesses, 
You'll notice that they have functional design. There's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Craigslist, obviously. But these are functional design. Now, if you look at what you might call beautiful websites, here's Rolex. It looks very polished. It looks, it looks elegant. And what you'll, you know, what you notice immediately with these sites, any site that's beautiful. I've, I've chosen Rolex and M and M's because lots of branding sites, lots of sites that are primarily branding sites, tend to look really polished and beautiful. But if you imagine how difficult it would be to make changes to either of these sites, the Rolex or M and M site. Um, because they're so polished, then you couldn't just immediately say, well, what happens if we stick this, you know, this image here on the left and add some text on the right? You can see immediately someone would have to go back to the drawing board and there'd be loads of considerations about the site layout and how the text and the font substitutions and all that kind of thing. And uh, and so to illustrate the problem with, with running a site that's that's beautiful rather than functional, we've got this graph here. It's the first. It's the first time we've we've explained it this way, and we think it's really profound, right? Imagine just start off just looking at the green there. So the green is a functional design, a functionally designed site. Uh, this axis uh, in going to the distance is time, and the height of these bars is your conversion rate. So say with your functional site, you run a test, and you get you get a win, and then another test, a win, and gradually each time you run a test, and you're increasing the conversion rate, and your conversion rate continues to rise. Now. Now, one way you could you could possibly get an increase in conversion rate is by making the page look more beautiful. And so for I think it's probably fairly generous, but let's just say that by going from having a functional looking page to a beautiful designed page, then you might get say 20 percent more uh, customers. So uh, so let's assume let's assume that. Now, the problem with that is you get this lift. But the second that your site is beautiful then say running that test number two where we decided to, I don't know, like change the call to action, rather than that going to, you know, being done at this point, let's say it'll take two or th three times longer to to redesign that test because obviously you need to do all of the responsive layout stuff and you need to, you get the designers back involved and you need to do more QA because there's some clever little CSS tricks going on on the original one to make it look good on a, on a mobile or whatever. So... So what happens is to subsequently to once your site looks elegant and beautiful, then from then on things move more slowly because every page to beat the control too has to look elegant and beautiful, and and so what we what we say is it's it's you know if you move from the functional to design to beautiful yes you might get a, a certain increase in conversion rate but you do so at the cost of your site from then on being difficult because everything you ever have to do needs to look beautiful in order to get those increases and so you've slowed down you've you've switched from the functional fast track over to the beautiful slow track and so that from then on, on you're, you're always on the, like the slow track to success and we see this time and time again and it's really really hard to persuade people of the benefits of being agile but the only thing we can point towards is this graph is an explanation and all those stupidly successful sites that we've just shown in those previous examples as proof and so and so that's i'd say of all of the mistakes that i've mentioned this is the one that most people make and this is the one that's most difficult to prevent people from making and so hopefully just by illustrating this way we've even if i just persuaded a few of you not 
um, to, to to focus on keeping your site functional rather than beautiful, then this is this has succeeded. <laughs> Fantastic. We're going to go now over to uh, Q and A. So if you start uh, typing in your questions, I think we've had some already, um, and uh, and I'll just leave it on this slide here. Um, Ran didn't want me to mention but, um, any call to action, but I've done it anyway, which is that if you um, if you want to start the free 30-day trial for Moz, then there's how to do it. And uh, like I mentioned before, it's, it's, it's a tool that we use and we recommend to our clients because it's so useful. Um, with with us, if you're you're mixing, you're mixing my uh, my brand and my uh, conversion funnel, Carl. I am Rand, but you're now in my conversion funnel. This is my slide. So, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> no, very good, very good point. Um, with, with us, uh, the uh, if, if your annual revenue is more than a million dollars, then um, if you'd like a free phone consult consultation, then go there. Uh, if you'd like to work for us, go there. And if you'd like a free CRO toolkit and lots of useful articles, then go there. Rand, um, Mark is saying... Yeah, I've not, I don't have the... Do you not have access to those? Panel. Do you have that? Um, I'll read them out then. No, I, I, I must be. I must uh, have given okay. myself higher Thank privileges you. than anyone else. In a, um, <laughs> uh, Mark is saying, are there any SEO issues from a technical perspective regarding showing different content to different users as part of split testing software? Does this change if yeah. it's done client-side or service-side? Uh, good question. The, the answer is almost almost never, um, and the the reason is that uh, usually when you are doing the split testing, there's a version that you are by default showing to Google and showing to um, browsers that aren't executing uh, more complex JavaScript. It is a case that Google can crawl that and see it, but Google's very familiar with split testing software these days. You know, obviously, they, they have their own that they um, enable you to run. Uh, and as a result, unless you've custom crafted some sort of split testing software in-house that uses overly simplistic or surprisingly simplistic uh, JavaScript, and so somehow you're showing kind of two versions of a page to Google, in extremely rare case, and even then, you're not going to get penalized. You just might, you know, Google might cache one version or the other. Um, and if both are relatively SEO friendly, that shouldn't concern you too much either. So, but long, you know, long version there. But the short answer is no. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, feel free to split test. The technical issues, as far as Google goes, should be virtually non-existent. Fantastic. That's great to hear as well. Uh, Chinny says, "How did Moz go about finding out how long it takes visitors to become subscribers?" I'm, ex it says, I'm especially yeah. interested in how they were able to tie back subscribers to the length of visits to the site. So, so this is actually this is how multi-channel attribution uh, works or is, is supposed to work. And um, we have two versions of that. One is a simple version that we did via Google Analytics. The other one is a little more complex, and we did it uh, via a combination of Mixpanel, which we have on our site, and um, some of our own – we have our own in-house – uh, measurement tool called Gizmo. So basically, we looked at subscribers, all of our subscribers, people who'd taken a free trial, people who hadn't, and then we had, of course, their, um, uh, we can look at their IP address or the, the uh, cookie from them, and we looked at ones where, you know, the cookie path had existed over the course of the last, you know, 90, 180 days, whatever it was, uh, and then we looked at, 
how many times on average they visited the site and which channels on average they came through and then you can you can basically build up a model based on that. You can do that through uh, Google Analytics's, you could do a simple version through Google Analytics's, um, you, you know, conversion path uh, tool. They actually have a, a system that'll show you that. So they'll, they'll have a little, you know, blue bar for social, a little red bar for search, and yada yada. So you can see that, those paths. Um, and then on the, on the slightly more complex side, what we did is break out our subscribers into buckets. So we have essentially four buckets. People who are in their free trial, the, the first 30 days of their membership before they convert and pay. Uh, people who are in their first three months of memberships, we call the, those the, the non-loyal bucket. Uh, we have the loyal bucket, that's four to, I think four to nine months of membership. And then uh, over nine months of membership we call lifers. And um, we looked basically at those and then we looked back at their uh, paths to conversion and the lifers and loyals just had much longer, uh, on average, had visited many more times than the seven and a half, right? They were the 10, 12, 15 visits before taking a free trial. And the one, many of the ones who took a free trial and didn't even make it through to vest, uh, and many of those non-loyal, the first zero to four months, those folks, uh, when we looked at them, they had many fewer visits prior to taking a free trial, right? Two, three, four visits, one visit. Uh, if you come to Moz for the very first time and you sign up uh, for a free trial, chances are the first you're going to abandon before the first 30 days are over. And I think that, that shouldn't be particularly surprising um, given our audience. It's, it's relatively intuitive, but having that data to be able to you know, prove to your management or uh, to the team is just invaluable. So for anyone out there with a subscription service or where um, you know, lifetime value and recidivism or buying multiple products over uh, multiple visits is really important, I, I'd urge you to go look at that visit path. It can reveal some really fascinating stuff, and it's not too hard to get. Fantastic, fantastic. That's great. And are there any things to be careful about? This is a question from David. When using VWO or Optimizely-like products, when when using split testing software, can directing traffic to different views affect SEO in any way? Different traffic to different views. So, hmm, maybe you could be. More specific. What? I think. I think. And there's, a, there's another question that um, that uh, different David asked is: Are there any concerns about duplicate content with using uh, uh, split testing software? Oh, okay. Well, uh, no, no. That shouldn't that shouldn't be the case, right? Because basically, you only have one URL. E even if Google is crawling, like crawls one version, and then they come back, and and somehow through some miracle, you created your own in-house JavaScript that Google does manage to crawl, and they don't recognize it as split testing software, and they crawl the other version instead, it's still only a single URL that they're going to see for that. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Years ago, Randall, um, um, SEO spammers used uh, cloaking software so that they could show right. effectively very similar technology to split testing software where where JavaScript redirects would show a different thing to a visitor than it shows to Google. And so I guess I mean, lots of people the, the, are still scared. Yeah, the beauty of, of how SEO evolved, right, Carl, is, is that the version that converts the best is now much better than the version that's stuffed with keywords, even for SEO, 
right? Because because keyword you know usage is such a small part of uh, getting your SEO right and having high engagement, um, you know, good conversion rates is such a big part of getting SEO right. And, and Google's really rewarding that. You can see that uh, over time as they evaluate content quality and user and usage data signals and as they get all sorts of scary tracking about what all of us are doing on the web, um, you know, you're, the incentive for spammers to do that is gone. And so, yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic to know because it, it does it does genuinely scare a lot of people with their with split testing software because it's I suppose yeah the same similar techniques in the past uh, could be really harmful, couldn't they? Right. I mean, I think that the biggest you know answer to this question is Google has their own split testing software, right? They have um, or the Google website optimizer or whatnot, right? That they they put out that 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 they run and manage. They have. Um, you know, blog posts from their Webmaster Tools team telling you not to worry about it and explaining that they recognize split testing software and, you know, can figure it out. So uh, you, you're very safe on that front. Great. Uh, uh, Sean Villa has asked, do PPC visitors' usage data affect SEO ranking? Yes-ish, but it, it can be quite indirect. So the thing that I generally tell folks is if you are over time improving the uh, the happiness of your visitors, Google will reward you. We What we don't know is how exactly they're measuring that, which metrics they take into account, whether uh, they are pulling, I, they're not pulling data from Google Analytics, but they almost certainly are from clicks on search results and then bounces back to the SERPs. They're probably getting some from things like uh, Google Plus and uh, Android and Chrome browser and, you know, all of these things where they have access to web scale usage data. And so if you're improving things like browse rate, the number of pages on average that someone uh, visits your site uh, during a, a visit, or if you're uh, improving the conversion rate, or if you're improving the uh, rate at which people return to your site or search for your brand or uh, navigate directly to your pages to, you know, solve something or seek you out in the search results and, and prefer you over higher ranked results because they're comfortable with your brand. All of those things are probably having a direct or indirect impact uh, on your rankings overall. And so, you know, one of the best things that you can do for SEO these days is to improve usability and user experience. And that fits really nicely with conversion rate optimization as well because, you know, usability and user experience are, are hugely tied to successful conversions. Fantastic. Joe has asked, what pro asked me what, what processes do we have in place to uncover the cinema foyer effect? Joe, I would say the main, the main way of uncovering it is to, is to ask people that question of what persuaded them. Um, uh, Sometimes you can the, the way that you ask the question is kind of independent. So you can ask the question whether it's in a, uh, a phone call with an existing customer. You can ask it as an on-page question. You can ask it as a survey afterwards to customers. So as with all these things, the question and the way of asking it are like orthogonal, and you can use any. You can ask most questions with most types of survey tool. 
Um, but that's that's the most popular thing. And also by testing, removing page elements and seeing whether it makes a difference. That's uh, that's something that's often decluttering a page by testing what happens if you remove an element. Often you can discover that the page doesn't need to contain all of the things that are currently on there. In addition to online surveys, you, you did mention briefly, right, the in-person or, or the over-the-phone. I, I have found that um, time and time again, the, the, the qualitative data from two or three people, watching two or three people go through your process and asking them to talk their thoughts out loud, right, say what they're thinking as they're going through, can actually be even more valuable um, <clears throat> or at least as valuable as the you know, hundreds or thousands of data points that you get from the automated tools and from, you know, surveys and that kind of stuff. When people talk out loud, suddenly, you know, designers and developers and, and your usability specialists and, you know, your conversion rate opportunities go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that when they were looking at that, they thought X, Y, and Z. And no one thinks, you know, to include that question in a survey or to give it as a response. So it can be pretty, uh, pretty valuable. Yes, fantastic. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for, actually. So it's been great to have you on the call, Rand. Um, oh my gosh! And do do you have anything I, I, else? I love doing this stuff with you, Carl. No, like likewise, it's been it's, it's been great. Do you have anything else you'd like to like to add? in any other any other comment section for the uh, for the listeners viewers? Uh, no, although <laughs> I I do have one quick comment, which is you need to get on Twitter, man. I. I I've been trying to reference you and call you out, but there's no Twitter account for you or conversion rate experts that I can find. Get I on Twitter. I, I know we need to. I know <laughs> we need to. Even, but The only reason I'm telling you, I want to promote you on Twitter, and I can't, and that hurts me. It hurts me in my heart. My social media sharing heart is hurt. <laughs> well, well, no, thank, thank you very much for that. We'll have to, well, uh, yeah, I'd appreciate the conversation. We, 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 yeah, it seems like a lot of work, Twitter, and we try to like stay focused, but maybe that's one of the areas of focus that we've uh, that we're wrong in trying to <laughs> in trying to do even if you just have an account <laughs> oh we do we do see our experts even if you just have an account, no we I do you. we have we have an account see ah, our experts okay. but we've just literally never tweeted because the um because it's, ah, it's it's a lot of work isn't it tweet twitter it's, it's a people spend a lot of time on it it's uh <laughs> it's an addiction yeah. I'm just trying to get you hooked <laughs> exactly that's how it feels it feels like some heroin dealers trying to persuade me to uh, just try a little bit of heroin because he wants to yeah <laughs> but thank you very much for the recommendations actually one thing I should have mentioned at the at the bottom as well is um, on that learning zone page at the bottom uh, Rand kindly let us give away when um, uh when we were working on 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 Rand's site, Rand kindly let us give away a screenshot of one of the winning pages that we developed of Moz's tool, and uh, and so if you go to that page, you can actually download a, an extremely long page that we designed and uh, with loads of annotations about all the different things that uh, w- that we did. Fantastic. Great to speak with you, Rand, and uh, and and great to speak to you, everyone on the call, and look forward to the next time. Awesome. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Bye. Bye. So that was the end of the webinar. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find a transcript of it via conversionrateexperts.com/podcasts. And while you're there, we have free reports you can download. You can subscribe to our newsletter, read our articles. And there are also many tips and tools you can use for free to increase your website's profits. 
If you listen to this podcast as a one-off, you might like to subscribe to it to hear more of our talks and seminars. And you can learn more at conversionrateexperts.com slash podcasts.